Thoth Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Hello, friends and listeners, and welcome back to a brand new season. This is season eight of the Thoth Hermes podcast, opening today with its first episode. And I must say, I'm extremely happy that we made it. Yeah, well, come on, five years ago, I hadn't even started yet. And uh, now we are in season eight, and that is quite amazing about... Uh, 120-ish, just about a little under that, episodes that have passed since then. And it's great, it's great. And uh, I must say I'm very pleased and very, very happy. And thank you all for being with us here again today. But having been with us with the Thoughts Hermes podcast for the last almost five years, um, because, well, it's quite amazing for me, really. And uh, as the figures, the listening figures are increasing every week, this makes me even more happy, showing that we are on the right way. Even though I must say there are a lot of new, um, new occultism um, programs around lately, and uh, well, it's 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 just very nice to have you be with us all the time. So, for those of you who don't know, my name is Rudolf. I am your host and the creator of this show. And I have, uh, I'm broadcasting from the outskirts of Austria's lovely capital, Vienna. Um, we are producing this show, this first episode of season eight, on Sunday, February 27, 2021. We've had quite a rough week over here in Europe. Um, well, the whole world, I guess. I don't have to say more, but all that's happening not so far east from my country where I am here. And it's really, really saddening that in 2022, those things still happen, that a country is being aggressed by another one. I'm not going to say more about it. I don't do political statements on this show, but if it's about peace, if it's about people suffering, we have to stand up and say something, and um, this is just not right. Okay, after having said that, um, well, some, somehow difficult to return to the subject. Well, my guest today here on the show is Carl Abrahamson. Carl, who has been with us already when he explained his view on the culture, but he is just, no, he has not yet released. It is going to be released actually tomorrow. Tomorrow is the book uh, release that Carl has written on Anton LaVey. Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan. And this why this episode is called The Myth of LaVey. And we're going to talk to Carl about that in at length in just a moment. Um, before that, um, I am not going to really bug you about becoming a patron here today. Just become one. Huh? Why do I have to tell you all the time? <laughs> yeah, I know. But, um, well, thanks to the There were a couple of you who have joined 
during the season break can become patrons. Thank you to you. Thank you to those of you who have been patrons for quite some time and being really good supporters of this show. And thank you to all, thank you to all of you who will be joining us in the next couple of weeks. And I warned you before the season break in this season, in the next two or three weeks, right in time for our fifth anniversary, I will do a pledge, a campaign, because we need to do something and I'll tell you more about that in two or three weeks, so be warned. In the meantime, go on the website. Go on the website on thoughtshermes.com, T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com. You'll find all the 120-ish or so episodes there all the time, and you can also see the show notes, and I tell you, go and see the show notes. More of you should do that, because I think some links there are really interesting, and you should have a look. And also, uh, you find those Patreon and donation buttons there, by the way, right? Okay. Um, right. So, this episode, as I said, is all about Anton LeVay. And Anton LeVay is, well, I'm not a real specialist on him and on the Church of Satan, to be honest. But um, yet, still, I, I know my way around a bit. And... He was full of surprises for me when I discovered those things with Carl uh, Abrahamson. Carl also told me, which I had not known, that Anton LaVey had written music and um, produced music. And um, I wasn't aware of that, to be honest. And so Carl picked two tracks by Anton LaVey for this show, which will be two of the three musical tracks that we're going to hear today. Actually, those tracks by Anton LaVey himself are rather short tracks. They are just under two minutes. And in order to balance that out, we will have a really long track of about eight minutes uh, in between in the break. And that will be by Carl Abrahamson himself and his band back then in the early years, which kind of made all that you will hear that in the interview, kind of made that all happen, that they met at some point. But I'm going too fast. Now, we do a first piece of music now by Anton LaVey, as I just said. And, um, well, you listen to that, it's very surprising. It was very surprising to me. It's instrumental. It's called Satan Takes a Holiday. And, um, well, after that, I will introduce you to the interview uh, also, I think uh, in order to get the message right, we have to, I have to read something to you, but I will do that. After that little piece of music now, listen to Anton LaVey's piece, which is called Satan Takes a Holiday. Enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. 
Satan Takes a Holiday by Anton LaVey himself. Would you believe that? Right. And that brings us right into the topic, which will be Carl Abram's interview, Abramson's interview with me on Anton LaVey at the occasion of the release, which will be tomorrow, of his new book with Inner Traditions, Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan. Infernal Wisdom from the Devil's Den. That's the subtitle, and it's a really great book. I had the pleasure to have a, a, a pre-copy already for quite some time, and actually the interview I'm doing, I'm giving to you today here, uh, we did that just between Christmas and New Year already, because the book was supposed to be released a little bit earlier, and, you know, with all that's happening in the world and the COVID and the paper transport problems and production problems, um, it got a bit delayed and I wanted to release that interview at the moment when the book will appear. And so the book will appear, if you're listening on the very first day, uh, will appear tomorrow. So the book will appear on February 28th. And um, but um, you can get it now, of course. What I wanted to do, normally I always read a part from the book that we are discussing. But today, I must say, I, I had, I think the book um, and Carl, they sp he speaks so well about the book and all the background and how it all get, got together. I'd rather do something else. I'd read you a few statements by Anton LaVey himself, because I think we must before we hear the interview, become aware again of who he was, what he actually said, because it's very um, in some in some in some fog for many people. Well, Satanism and yeah, the bad guy Levee, etc. Let's let me read you three things to start with before we go to the interview. The first is the 11 Satanic Rules of the Earth, that were statements made by Anton LaVey in 1967, two years before he actually published the Satanic Bible. Then I will read you the nine opening statements of the Satanic Bible. No worries, not lasting hours, it's just a little phrase each time. So that will be the second thing. And then the third thing is the nine Satanic Sins, um, also um, declared by Anton LeVay, right? Okay, so from his uh, 11 satanic rules of the earth, he called them, in 1967, the 11 satanic rules of the earth, um, the headlines, and um, if you want to dig deeper, you'll find the links to go a bit deeper on the website. The 11 satanic rules of the earth. First, do not give opinions or advice unless you're asked. 2. Do not tell your troubles to others unless you're sure they want to hear them. 3. When in another's lair, show him respect or else do not go there. 4. If a guest in your lair annoys you, treat him cruelly and without mercy. 5. Do not make sexual advances unless you're given the mating signal. 6. Do not take that which does not belong to you unless it's a burden to the other person and he cries out to be relieved. 7. 
Acknowledge the power of magic if you have employed it successfully to obtain your desires. If you deny the power of magic after having called upon it with success, you will lose all you have obtained. 8. Do not complain about anything to which you need not subject yourself. 9. Do not harm little children. 10. Do not kill non-human animals unless you're attacked or for your food. 11. When walking in open territory, bother no one. If someone bothers you, ask him to stop. If he does not stop, destroy him. Right. Some of them are quite surprising, aren't they? Right. So let's now go two years later. His... Satanic Bible appeared in 1969, and there are the nine opening statements. Once again, I'm not going to read you the full statements. That would be too long, of course, even though they're really interesting. But if you're interested, go and read them by yourself. It's really worth it. So I'm just reading the headlines for you. The nine opening statements of the Satanic Bible. One, indulgence, not abstinence. 2. Vital existence, not spiritual illusion. 3. Undefiled wisdom, not hypocritical self-deceit. 4. Kindness to those who deserve it, not love wasted on ingrates. 5. Vengeance, not turning the other cheek. 6. Give responsibility to the responsible. 7. Man is just another animal. 8. Celebrating the so-called sins. And 9. Satan is the best friend the church has ever had. Right. There's a little change between the first and the second rules and, and statements. So but in those two years, he evolved a bit, I think. And now let me read you to finish um, the nine satanic sins. One, stupidity. Two, pretentiousness. Three, solipsism. Four, self-deceit. Five, Hurt conformity. Six, lack of perspective. Seven, forgetfulness of past orthodoxies. Eight, counterproductive pride. And finally, nine, lack of aesthetics. Right. Also, nine things that should be retained by all of us. Yeah, I really must say, I really was surprised when I reread. I had read them earlier, of course, but it had been some time. And I'm, I was quite surprised when I reread those statements and those rules and those sins. And I thought they would be a good, good start before we go and start with the interview. And that's what we're going to do now. We are now going to start the interview with Carl Abrahamson. 
Just to remind you, in the break of the interval, that will be in approximately 35 minutes, we will hear a long piece of music by Carl himself. And um, so I'll join you just briefly before that happens. Now, let's go. Let's go to Sweden and meet Carl Abrahamsson. Here comes the interview. I have the great pleasure here today to welcome back, I may say, welcome back to the Thoth Hermes podcast. Uh, somebody I really appreciate a lot in that scene of, well, I may even say in your case, Carl, O-Culture, because uh, you have written that marvelous book with that title. And it's such a, it's such a great name for what you are doing. Um, Carl Abrahamson is us here today again. Carl, very nice to have you. Good evening. Nice to have you on the show. Good evening evening and thank you for having me it's always nice well of course and i also remember that great talk you gave for our thoughts hermes academy a bit over a year back now and it we have had nice experiences together so today today something really exciting is coming up these days you are going to release a new book um, pre-orders as i said just before are open wide open and i'm sure this is going to be a big hit because the person you are talking about in that book is somebody is a legend i think we may say it like that you will release that book called anton lavey and the church of satan and i already hear oh going through the through the air here so um carl um, many who follow you many who have know your work know that carl uh, that anton lavey and you, 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 you've had uh, con a lot of contacts in the earlier years, and of course, you are somebody who knows what he's writing about there. Maybe we could go back a little bit to that time. You do it yourself also in the book. I had the pleasure to already have a pre-release of the book here on my screen. So I could see that that you, of course, start a little bit back in those years, in the 80s. I think you were just about 20 then, is that right? Okay, so I, I, I uh, let's go back then. And uh, times were quite different in the eighties than they are now. What at back the, the young Carl Abramson? What happened that he got interested, and in, what did he then do? Well, it's it's uh, it's a story that I never tire of uh, telling. <laughs> it, it's basically <laughs> uh, in the mid mid. Um, 80s i was uh, say 20 years old around 20 years old and uh, i had already had that sort of first teen teenage infatuation with the occult also with underground things underground movies um, books comics music of course um, everything that you know th those things that you go through when you're a teenager you want to you know find your own identity but you also want to do it by sort of opposing or going against the grain of where you come from so it's this little bit rebellious thing uh, now i come from a background of uh, uh, sort of very very secular and very very cultured so very highbrow in a sense so in that, i had to of course then delve into um, things dealing with you know religious or spiritual themes but also going underground and into a lowbrow <laughs> lowbrow situation yeah. and it was fun of course you know wonderful wonderful time uh, and 
there are a couple of different strains or uh, avenues that lead on to uh, my actually meeting LaVey. One, of course, was his satanic Bible. I was uh, checking the you know occult sections and bookstores out, and you always find the satanic Bible. It's been in print since 1969, and it's cheap and it's understandable. And I, I really liked that book. I really found that it uh, had uh, uh, you know it a resonance. There was a resonance there for me. Whereas I had also, you know, bought uh, Eliphaz Levi and Crowley and, you know, all the more slightly more technical stuff from the Western, uh, you know, esoteric uh, tradition and history. Mm-hmm. But LaVey was someone who was, uh, you know, at the time still alive and and um, came from a very interesting background, colorful life. And, you know, and then the other uh, avenue that I was referring to was my love of, of uh, trash culture and B-movies specifically and sort of trashy rock and roll. And in that, there was this uh, fantastic golden era of the 1950s and 60s. Uh, and of course, there were these, you know, truly true goddesses in a way. And my favorite favorite was always Jane Mansfield. And Jane Mansfield had actually been a member of the Church of Satan. And, you know, they may or may not have had an actual affair, but they were certainly photographed together. And it was great PR for both of them, for both LaVey and both Jane Mansfield. So that stuck in my mind as something it's simply so cool, uh, beyond belief, larger than life, that um, it really made an imprint uh, in or on my teenage uh, mind. Um, then w- what happened was that I had in the mid 80s uh, had a f- music fanzine or a culture fanzine called Lollipop. Uh, and um, that led to many things. I was active in networking, meeting a lot of musicians, bands, interviewing, you know, uh, documenting things that I found interesting. And that's moved on into the occult or the occultural uh, with the emergence of the first issue of the Fenris Wolf, which actually came out in 1989, uh, that was just like that, a fancy that early already. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, I yeah. wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't aware about that. Yeah, long. no. Yeah. But but that 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 uh, was uh, like a continuation of my music fanzine production. I went. I turned it into something occultural instead. And at that time, I had also, you know, gone through the phase of making music with my little rock and roll band and also being very, very involved with uh, the Temple of Psychic Youth, working with uh, Genesis P. Orridge on many things. And, and um, I was sort of living in, very immersed in this uh, creative, but also occult and occultural uh, world, which had for me the best taste in this kind of, uh, you know, uh, Kenneth Anger's Hollywood Babylon books, this kind of dark mm-hmm. sea, the undercurrent of something that should be so wonderful and uh, wealthy and healthy like Hollywood. But it's just, if you scratch the surface, there's all of this despair, this kind of darkness, mm-hmm. something that's askew, not quite right. Um, so that was my mind frame. And uh, I wrote a song together with the, the, the band called Sweet Jane, which was like a love song tribute to Jane Mansfield and her relationship with with, uh, Anton LaVey. And when that record came out, Genesis said, you should really send this to LaVey. I have the address. He might find it funny, you know. And I thought, whoa, that would be amazing. So uh, I I sent it and I didn't really expect anything to to happen. But I did get a letter back from Anton LaVey saying, you know, that he appreciated it and that he found the... uh, 
initiative great and you know that's how how uh, you know jane uh, survives in a way and and he was very happy and, and he also by doing that made me a member uh, of the church of satan and i just like couldn't believe it it was beyond belief i was so happy and then uh, this was in 1988 and then uh, as i was i can't remember studying or working or doing something i had to save up <laughs> money and then I, when i had yeah. enough i just went over there and and I I was welcome to visit and that led to um, me going to California almost every year and then up until 1993 which was the last time I uh, saw him 1989 was the first time so um, it was very very interesting uh, of course I was like a sponge very curious interested and uh, hoping to learn of course but what I did learn was not so much the uh, you know super um, meta occult aspects of his kind of uh, magical uh, behavior or the you know the antics of the church of satan in the 1960s we talked about different things we talked about music and uh, i think one of the things that really uh, made us connect was that i was so enamored with this kind of american trash culture and i'd simply already at that fairly young age seen so many movies and many of those movies he really loved so that was a, a good kind of connect and it wasn't my uh, trying to emulate or you know um, it was just an, another kind of resonance and i basically spent uh, years at the uh, Cinematheque in in Stockholm watching uh, everything I could see and it was also the emergence if you remember satellite TV you know with Sky Channel and all these sure, things yeah. and, and they had all of that um, you know cheap programming buying up catalogs from the from the movie studios and it was beautiful trashy films so I was quite of knowledgeable course. and savvy and we could talk a lot about those things and also music and, and um, um, yeah it was sim simply uh, a different kind of magic and I was very inspired and as you can uh, hear and notice because I'm still working with these things I'm still inspired by those you know initial meetings so that was very very uh, okay. uh, interesting and and uh, very formative for me and in my uh, uh, strictly mag magical, um, what do you call it, explorations. Uh, I have gone through many things, like uh, I look at it as uh, getting an education in a way. I have uh, been in that school. I was in the Temple of Psychic Youth School. So I went to university in the OTO in a way. It's like with <laughs> more rigorous academic training and, and things like that. And, and um, for me, uh, any learning you get, any inspiration sticks. I mean, you don't unschool yourself after you've been to school, it's simply there. And I do have to say that, that um, um, what happened and continually has happened is that the more I have thought or felt, uh, you know, basically thought about uh, my time there in San Francisco and also, con you know, continued um, contacts with other people in the Church of Satan, uh, it's, it's been very, very valuable because when you, when you think about it, you can go through, for instance, an initiatic structure in the Western uh, Hermetic tradition, um, usually based on some kind of Freemasonic structure and symbolic uh, journey. Uh, that's that's beautiful. And, and uh, I certainly uh, have done that. Uh, but 
when I go to the absolute inner core, uh, I find that my magic has uh, either been very programmed by that freer kind of pragmatic sense and also integration of culture in the into the cauldron um, uh, that it feels like ho at home for me more than for instance uh, using the classical wand or the cup or the disc and doing these sort of um, guishic or or angelic invocations and all these things yeah. uh, that's beautiful and it does have an effect and i'm not in any way disrespecting it but in terms of my own um, magical vehicle in a way it is very uh, filled and driven by fueled by stuff that i learned uh, from lavey uh, either directly or between the lines or later by proxy or through his books uh, and the key to this is the inspiration that comes from resonance and it's absolutely invaluable and i've, I've had that with other people too in in sort of non-occult environments for instance you know artists that i've met and writers people uh, doing their thing so to speak uh, and that by that uh, they create wonderful things that you know some of those people i, I felt this same kind of resonance with and you, i guess maybe it's what people call you know chemistry but I, I do think it's deeper than that i think it's a chemistry of the soul in a way absolutely um, I feel the same sometimes with music, you know, which music is my professional background yeah. and music is often part of my magic because I just, as you say, well, resonance is the exact name there, of course, yeah. and yep. that, re that resonance acts there exactly as well. Well, in what you just said now, I, I have made some notes and they have so many new questions have arisen. So maybe I, I, I'll ask you a few of them. I always like, especially with people like you who are so clear in their minds, um, ask about some definitions. And I'd, I'd like to have, uh, well, the first is maybe not really a definition, it's more an opinion, but um, you used three words, you used subculture, you used underculture, which is rarely said that way. You used trash culture, of course, which is a particular part of it. Um, all those terms are voluntarily diminishing something in a way so in order to be different from the mainstream you lower yourself so could you could you give us your opinion on why this is being done in that in that field because others lift themselves or make themselves more important to 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 express themselves here we experienced almost the contrary why is that and what is the effect of it Right. Well, I think that that um, my intention is not to uh, focus specifically on, you know, that things are only good if they're underground. Things are only good if they're trash. You know, uh, there are so mm -hmm. many beautiful things that are also, you know, transcending and transgressing in the overground, you know, in the really highbrow culture <laughs> also. Um, mm -hmm. But how, however, I did get one association when you ask that. It's a good question. Um, with with uh, the satanic and with satan in a way uh, because yes. uh, there you have it in in our culture whether we are you know monotheists or not uh, i i'm not but we're still living in that kind of culture uh, and then you have this 
dualistic dichotomy in a way where you have the the good and the evil and of course in our mm. sphere it's it's the satanic why would you want to have an allegiance with something that's supposedly bad or evil uh, however that's one of the key things that LaVey brought to the table also he, he shook the table he didn't bring anything to the table other uh, strictly rebellious spirit saying that um uh, it's for me to define these things, not not necessarily for you. Because if we look back at the Christian Church, you know they have used it as a, I know, as a cheap horror movie in a way to scare the serfs into obedience by these, uh, you know, perverted monsters that come from their psyches, not from you know, not from wise women or witches or alchemists. It comes from from the priesthood and you know that kind of structure. Mm. So basically. Uh, etymologically, you know, uh, Satan, uh, Hebrew means the opposer, the one who goes against. There we have a good uh, a key to understanding what this is about. There's a lot of power in being the one who goes against the grain. There's a lot of power in being, and here's a key, key word, being an outsider. And the people who make yes. this sort of trash culture, they're also outsiders. It's not that they want to make trash per se. Um, they might want to make something, you know, the most beautiful film in the world, but they only have a budget that's like one twentieth of what, a, what it would actually cost to make a movie. So they're strapped uh, and they're hindered and sort of uh, restrained in a way by circumstances that may or may not be beyond uh, their uh, control. But they are outsiders. And the reason why we love outsiders that fight, uh, we come almost to like a, a, a Nietzschean concept, you know, with the Superman or the Overman uh, overcoming or transcending the hurdles of life. And it's... A, there's nothing to transcend if you're, you know, a wealthy, boring person who likes to go and watch uh, the, uh, you know, latest blockbuster movie. Uh, however, if you have to fight to create your vision, uh, it will be uh, affecting people in a different way simply because of that outsidership. There are also a lot of outsiders who don't make it, who fail and are, are completely forgotten. Uh, but yeah. if we look at culture specifically and, you know, movies that we like, uh, it's filled with that kind of history of people who wanted to create something very special and they did not because they wanted to have it exactly like that but because they fought so hard to work with what they had and there i think also lavey is interesting as one of those uh, people he was an outsider already from the beginning you know uh, joining a circus a sideshow uh, learning how to um, uh, work with big cats like lions and tigers and a very interesting life. And of course, he also had the music. He was a, a musician by profession. So um, he was a weird character. So of course, he will uh, attract weird people or people who look at to him for, you know, knowledge or some someone who is wise. And then it dawned on him that, you know, there's a correlation between the satanic or the darkly underground in spiritual or religious culture. And he felt an affinity with that and sort of nurtured that concept uh, and made it into uh, something that became the church of Satan and a career for him. And so, 
maybe later on in life slightly maybe a problem for him also to be constantly associated with having to explain over and over and over again something that he had written about in the books already in the late 60s so but that's true for a lot of people you get you're haunted by your past in a way you if you're an artist and you create a masterpiece when you're 25 and people want to see you paint the same thing when you're 55 it's not fun <laughs> unless you're making a lot of money of course then it could be fun uh, but but yeah, the thing yeah. is that that um um uh, I certainly don't value trash over gold, so to speak. Uh, but gold in itself isn't good. You know, it can be. If there's good gold. There's good sort of uh, mainstream, high budget movies. Uh, but I seem to prefer or feel that resonance with people who are uh, against the odds who against the odds yeah. are creating something that is worthwhile because it somehow gets imbued with that spirit of creativity, of overcoming, uh, of, uh, you know, transcending or transgressing petty, pointless morals of the time. Uh, and uh, that's really the kind of art that I like. You know, it has to have that and, thing. Otherwise, it's just illustration in a way. And it's, of course, also much easier in a way to identify with the struggling with the underdog because yeah. every one of us in some field feels feels like the underdog so and it's always there where we want to progress somehow absolutely and, and that's a very interesting matter interesting uh, word that, that you're using there underdog because that leads for me specifically and i think for anyone who likes like movie history and stuff you know the the film noir of, of the american 1940s mm. where this mm. hero is basically an anti-hero he's he has a good heart but he may be a bad person he's a criminal but he can still be uh, a lovable person inside uh, he's against uh, goes against uh, the grain he's plays against the odds and and usually because of you know know uh, moralism has to be punished in the end but there's this strange thing where you feel a sympathy for someone you should really hate because he's not like normal people and lave of course loved film noir um, uh, and we watched film noir at his uh, in his black house and it, there was a lesson there because uh, there's one thing that he loved it, but he also made a point out of showing the people who came there certain things like books and music and movies. It was like a little night school in a way for certain people. And and uh, yeah. I love film noir too. And it's the same thing, you know, um, the really tough guys have to fight not only the fact that they're not normal, they also have to fight uh, themselves in a way with this dilemma of, of uh, wanting to do good, but simply not not being able to because you're cast to. in a role of being evil. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll come back to that black and black house in a moment. Let me ask you the second definition question. That's a tricky one, probably. Um, but uh, uh, if someone is up to it, then it's you. Um, Satanism, the word Satanism, is probably one of the most misunderstood or even abused words within the occult world <laughs> um, by lovers as much as by opponents, right? Um, what would be your possible definition of Satanism in, in what we are talking about here in the sense of LaVey and, um, and what is it certainly not? Maybe it's easier to say what it is not, but uh, well, feel free to do it the way you want. Yeah, I think uh, 
as you know, I've been, been uh, sort of uh, existing in this sort of cultural bubble in a way, looking at culture specifically and how it ties into you know, people's interest and the changing interest, how, you know, occult trends or fads or whatever. Um, and also in a longer perspective, looking at historical Satanism, for instance. So you cannot really say that Satanism is, is, is only LaVey. You know, that, that's, that's, uh, no, of course not. No, exactly. Yeah. So that's you have, why, I mean, we should define what we're talking yeah. about here. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. so mm -hmm. in, in the long term, um, or sort of looking back at uh, historical, uh, I think you have, you can uh, define it by, you know, again, the, the outsiders that go against the grain, then you have mi basically millions of Satanists throughout history, but maybe we should have it so that they're, um, consciously using the term that narrows it down a, a bit to monotheism and and whether you call it satan so or, or iblis yeah. in in uh, islam or or something yeah. else there yeah. is that force and there are people who have worked with it magically because there's power in being uh, in the darkness and in in uh, you know mm -hmm. in an outside position outsider position so and then you have the, the romanticized satan you have milton you have blake you have uh, you know, the French decadence, um, uh, Huismans and, and all of that stuff. That's, that's also, and even Strindberg and, and uh, um, uh, all these people who yeah. were flirting in a way, they were flirting romantically. Some of them might have felt it strongly enough to work with it magically uh, that we can only speculate. Uh, but there was certainly an increasing amount of fiction being written in which you had a Luciferian uh, force, uh, the fallen angel. It was, you know, dramatic, melodramatic, romantic. Uh, but then if we just sort of take a quantum leap to, uh, well, uh, Crowley, I guess, who started integrating uh, him to Lucifer and these things that were completely taboo culturally in a way, but he used it not for shock specifically, but as real magical um, uh, forces to be worked with, just like you could work with the angelic forces in the Enochian system, uh, meaning in a way... Um, objectively objectifying the forces, uh, giving them life and, and uh, existence. Um, and then, of course, in the aftermath of Crowley, because he was a heavy, you know, boulder that fell into the water and sent ripples down in all directions. And then, of course, we have uh, people like uh, Kenneth Anger, who took it on and made a kind of a mix there, being a pretty strict Thelemite and, and, uh, but being also very much a self-professed Luciferian. And of course he also became friends with LaVey when they were both in San Francisco. And then of course you have LaVey who not only defined it, but also defined it forever in a way through the books, calling them the satanic Bible, satanic rituals, uh, satanic witch. Yes. And he had the church of Satan. And then you can say that, well, uh, does cultural impact equal um, effect, you know, <laughs> long-term effect? And you have to say, actually answer that, yes, it does. Because if someone says, um, uh, define something and it sticks because of a strong cultural presence, I'm not talking about the of presence course. of a little tightly knit group of people who work with the occult rituals in those books, but the kind of impact it has beyond uh, the life 
time, for instance, of the originator. Um, and then, of course, you had the Temple of Set, who became uh, like a, uh, someone breaking away from the Church of Satan, Michael Aquino. An offspring. And that, uh, yeah, yeah. Offspring, exactly. And then, then you know, they were not Satanists, or no, it's not about Satan, but about Set. But basically, that's a matter of, of terminology that's culturally defined because they were more into the uh, Egyptian iconography. But it may be the same thing in terms of philosophy, perhaps. And then further on, you have these things where um, you have, you know, heavy metal and you have all kinds of metal and black metal and death metal all. And then we're back to the romanticizing. We're back to the flirting. And they if they say that, no, Satan is not love. Satan is what we say. Um, they don't have the same kind of impact. And it may be a harsh judgment to say that you can only validate something if it has cultural impact, but still, that's how it works. That's really how it works. If you don't have cultural impact, then it won't last, except for in tiny, tiny, tiny cows. Uh, and then, of course, you have yet another dimension uh, going on right now, and that has to do with the, you know, the academic field of the Western esotericism, uh, which has really bloomed, and there are, there are now many academic chairs in in Europe and in other parts of the world, and you know, people writing about you know uh, satanic feminism and satanic that, and and um, it has, well, it's not really a, a household term or concept but it has certainly become more acceptable uh, and i think the main definition or the books that i've read in that field uh, is that um, it's almost like there's they're writing between the lines you know well you can never escape lave but why would you have why would you want to <laughs> you know it's like they're making him into being some kind of marginalized character when actually he um, and that's basically the shtick of my book too and the film that the book is based on is that he was so incredibly innovative he was really a renewer of of uh, western magical um, iconography terminology conceptualizations uh, and uh, i hope that i have achieved that uh, we will see how that sort of uh, uh, what do you call it strikes roots in the academic field not that i care but i do think that uh, it's so easy to regurgitate academically what someone wrote in a newspaper article in 1976 saying he was lave was just a carny showman but for for uh, for instance scandinavian uh, academics today they don't even know what a carny showman is so to regurgitate these things that just you know generation after generation without scratching the surface and really looking at uh, what's being said what it means and what other kinds of um, cultural uh, strains of influence there are you know it, it's uh, uh, selling it short it's not really serious in my mind so yes. i would i love to open things up and really look at what's there and for me this has been extra special because i was also personally involved and and uh, i knew him so it's a kind of an emotional trip but it's also a trip in which i try to not only pay back but also pay forward to honor the um, immense creativity um, that he had in in sort of not only defining what satanism is but also redefining a lot of general magical uh, concepts absolutely and it's to me not uh, not a coincidence that we have um, chaos magic and lave satanism um, 
which are basically happening around the same time because in a way they address the same problem in in different ways don't they yeah yeah i would say so and one key to that is also the the uh, pragmatism pragmatism as a central concept of of um, not only of church of satan but as you say of chaos magic and also temple of psychic youth and it was this thing where where um, let's go for the resonance let's go for where the inspiration comes from and let's see and sort of shake that a little bit and see if that holds up and um he was pretty, I mean, he had something called the magic circle before the Church of Satan was uh, formed in 1966. And the magic circle was uh, people getting together. He had classes, lectures. He had this thing called the witches workshop. So he was already active without using the, you know, this dramatic term, controversial term of Satan. And, and uh, the reason he did that was without a doubt to be sort of pragmatic and conscious about the fact that this will attract a lot of attention. Yes. Uh, but he was already yes. uh, sort of uh, working in a satanic vein. And I'm sure he had, you know, that kind of resonance for, for a long time before he even, even came up with the magic circle work. You know, it was just a, a logical progression, a continuation of, of something that he had, had in his mind percolating for, for uh, uh, many, many years. And, and then, mm -hmm. of course, when you have that thing, the Church of Satan in in moralistic America, then that creates a shockwave. And, and of course, it became very, very successful. And the books were, um, you know, I wouldn't say rushed, but but someone approached him and said, you should really, you know, formulate this in some kind of Bible. And that's what he did. And it became a book that's, uh, you know, still in print after um, 53 years or whatever it is more still in print 69. and still, sell, sell, and still yeah. selling quite, yeah, absolutely. quite heavily absolutely yeah. and also then then you have this i uh, just uh, the other uh, the other day i found out it you know uh, i guess i'm normal in the sense that i watch i do watch a lot of tv and you know tv series and there's one that was recommended to me uh, called uh, silicon valley uh, a couple of years old i think uh in which there is a, a self-professed Satanist um, that even has an AI assistant called Anton, and he claims that he's a member of the Church of Satan. And, you know, a couple of years before that, there's, uh, what's it called? Uh, American Horror Story, where Anton LaVey mm -hmm. actually uh, is part of it. it so, appears, yes, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's cheesy and it's sort of almost libelous in a way, but, but still, uh, it appears, it, it exists in uh, in uh, our popular culture and that's that's it's uh, easy, but it has good actors in it is actors who you wouldn't yeah. expect to be on such yes. a thing actually right? exactly because, yeah, but yeah, but simply yeah, this yeah, thing yeah. that you know if you're a celebrity people will mock you they will uh, try to you know uh, slander you whatever that's the price you have to pay and sort of lave is dead now but he still exists in these kinds of forms and that of course makes people curious who the hell is this guy there will you know new generations are, are waking up to the fact that maybe this weird uh, kooky character has something to say and that's why i hope you know with my film and also the book to present not necessarily um 
a biography, uh, nor is it a strictly personal account. It's a little bit of both in the sense that I have chapters in the book that are uh, telling my story about what we did and the movies we watched and, you know, these things and also give a bit of contextual background. But then basically it's I talk to people who met him at the same yeah. time as I did, uh, because that was basically the last decade of his life. So he was a bit more reclusive and, um, you know, slightly failing health. But he was very, very vital. And he, uh, I guess, got a lot of energy from people who visited him too, you know, saying that there's still hope for the future if these people can be interested in the same things that I have been interested in. So I think he, he was a kind of a reciprocal thing where, where uh, you got a lot of information and some of that information you couldn't even make sense of or understand how valuable it was until much, much later. Uh, and I'm still finding things, looking at my diaries and stuff like that, that, whoa, that's what that was about. Or re-watching a movie now that we watched together mm -hmm. in 1989, for instance. Right, um, right. And I think for him, it was just like uh, being uh, vitalized a couple of times a week or how often this was for him, you know, uh, by uh, people coming in and willing to, you know, really, um, you know, look up to him. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of, sort of, yes, yeah. he could be that little guru for, for um, a couple of times mm -hmm. a week or. Okay. And here comes our musical break for this interview. I'm going to be very short now because I have been talking already much before the show. And it was necessary. I know it was necessary, I think, especially those statements by LaVey himself were necessary. So without further ado, let's go and listen to White Stains. White Stains, which is the group that uh, Carl Abramson was leading, was singing with, was working with um, many years ago. And as he said himself, this piece of music that you are going to hear now is kind of the song and record that made all of this that we are listening here today happen. It is from 19, um, 1988, I believe, and it's called Sweet Jane. White Stains with Sweet Jane. And after that, we return to Carl right away. And after the end of the interview, we will go back with a short piece of music by Anton LeVay himself. And that one is called the Satanic Hambo. But for now, it's Carl Abramson's White Stains and Sweet Jane from 1988. When I woke up, I felt like I owned the whole world. <laughs> I never remember feeling so good before. Never?
just made, uh, I don't know it was, if it was conscious or not, a little funny pun, who the hell was Anton LaVey? Yes. <laughs> it's one that I've, it's a pun that I've used many times. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, you just mentioned yourself about the book and also about the movie and people should really also have a look at that movie. It's not the same as the book, but it, it complements each other very yeah. well. So I would really suggest people, I don't think there is a particular order you should do that, but I saw the movie before I read the book, but um, I think you can do it either way. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll post also the link to it on the show notes to the movie, I mean, so that mm -hmm. people Thank can you. have a look at that. And you no, know, it's really necessary. And you just said the book is very interesting, I find, because it's not a biography. It's not a person account and actually the, the the second part that you just mentioned where you interview people about LaVey is larger actually than the first part um, yeah. the account and I find that a very interesting approach because you have all kinds of interesting people from well-known um, historians of the occult or occultists like Michor, which I, I don't know what he would prefer to be called, uh, like his son, right? Like Anton LaVey's son, who we would interview uh, and et cetera, et cetera. So it's a broad approach. Um, but as you said, um, we are talking there mostly about his last years. So when you saw him in 89, um, 20 years had passed since the release of the Satanic Bible. Um, were you at the time or are you now able to see what had changed in those 20 years for him? How had he changed and how had his, his, um, his church, let's put it that way, straight, um, how had that changed over the years? Well, I, I think that um, it, it had changed a lot. You know, you could basically say when you're looking at the, uh, the organization uh, historically that there, it was a first decade of uh, flamboyant public presence and that was part of the idea you know to invite uh, photographers and journalists and film crews and and uh, to this black house where you have nude ladies and the altar and strange rituals and being quite open about what was going on but it was all of course for ulterior motives and the motive it was attention you know because attention gave uh, money in terms of book sales and and um, you know being on tv made the book sell and you know it's classical american uh, thinking in a way that he was completely conscious of but it was also a way of getting the ideas out there of course so it was good good uh, pr on on many levels um, and then you have this uh, like the second decade between uh, say 75 and 85 just to keep the decade uh, mm -hmm. where there was um, a bit of you know uh, upheaval and internal things maybe most orders go through the same dynamic you know it's always a problem with people involved Absolutely. if, if he, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> sometimes a problem even if there's only one person involved but when you have two it's a real dynamic <laughs> uh, and and of course Aquino left and you know he was very uh, important to the church Satan. He was a, was a sure. clever, clever guy, and then he went off to to form the the Temple of Set, and uh, there were you know, like you know family tur turmoil and a bit of uh, you know divorce from from his long time uh, long term wife, and and um, it's. Um, 
something also changed in the outer where you had the you know the evangelical christians using tv as a platform more and more and more making more and more money and becoming more powerful in a way and that created a climate which uh, sort of became what was called the satanic panic that existed both in in europe but absolutely in the us and then you had this thing where um uh, people went by the house they were throwing things at the house they had to raise like a, f- a fence with barbed wire on uh, sometimes people were actually shooting at the house and of course that makes you paranoid you, why would you want to go out you know, if you, if you uh, met with that kind of mindless aggression which is like f- uh, pepped and aroused by these evangelical Christians so it was mm-hmm. like the culture changed but also it changed the game plan because the the Church of Satan was no longer like super public. Lave still gave interviews and they had an impact for sure. Uh, and again, the books just kept on selling and he was getting offers to be on TV shows with, you know, where they even pay, would they pay him for it? But he started saying no more and more. And then of course we go to the last decade, which is let's say then 85 up until his death in 97, uh, which was one where I think he was looking at uh, securing a legacy uh, and then you know more family problems and Zina LaVey uh, saying bye bye and sort of uh, not wanting to have any contact with her father and of course that's a blow you can say that I respect my daughter and she can do whatever she wants to uh, anything else would be unsatanic in a way but of course it hurts for a father when when your kid sort of leaves in such a you know uh, antagonistic manner and I'm sure it was hard for her also uh, but you know that kind of family drama and then also failing health uh, he had a heart condition and and he, i guess that okay. took a toil um and um but at the same time you know still being uh, clear-minded and vital and loving the music so there were other kinds of documentations uh, a couple of records came out recordings were made um and they wanted to make their own um what do you call it um infomercial in a way their own documentary called um, uh, Hail Satan but that never came out but I have uh, some of the material is in my film Um, and and, uh, it's wonderful unique where he's trying to really define what he's about you know at uh, I think that was uh, actually filmed in uh, 1989 also or 88 can't remember already Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. exactly because Mm -hmm. they wanted to make like an infomercial to sort of counter this kind of uh, insane satanic panic with these sort of blatant christian lies and and uh, conspiracy theories it seems to be a problem in the u.s where a segment of of the population is so easily swayed into conspiracies uh, because of uh, you know no or very bad education and the willingness to be completely uh, swayed by some you know prophetic uh, charismatic person who tells them that those people over there they're bad go kill them or throw stones at them whatever yeah. so it's a it's uh, a very I'm, I'm afraid simplistic. europe is lear- I'm, I'm afraid europe is learning very quickly <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that could be the case <laughs> yes. yeah but that's what yeah, happens yeah, when you have yeah. no edu- you know no real education it's it's uh, sure. everything begins yeah. with yeah. education So anyway, so he was becoming more reclusive. Um, Still, you know, people came and, you know, visited him and and, uh, hung out and and there was an, you know, exchange of ideas and and, um, 
you know, social. And and as um, health failed more and more, it became more and more of an isolation because it was simply too strenuous to, to uh, I don't know, yeah. not keep up a facade, but still, you know, to to maintain the same kind of uh, kinds of energy levels. And I think that the main achievement, in a way, uh, or uh, the greatest magical working in the later years was, of course, the the birth of their child, uh, Xerxes, who's also in Xerxes, the book. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's basically mm-hmm. the first time in my book that he's been willing to talk about what it was like right. to, to grow up. He was only uh, about four years old when LaVey died. So his memories mm-hmm. are very, they're only early memories. But of course, he had a lot of time to process um, those memories and also what it was like after, you know, after the demise, because LaVey died and the black house was torn down in, in 2001. And before that they had become, uh, they had to move and leave it. And, you know, things like that. All of those things are traumatic uh, experiences for a child, of course. So it's very interesting to talk to him about those, those Mm. things Mm -hmm. and, and how he looks at it today, because he, he's, um, uh, Xerxes is uh, what you would call like an um, automatic celebrity in a way, if you take mm-hmm. that chance, because it's always suspicious in the US if you're born into a celebrity family, but you're not using it to your own advantage, then then it's something um, very wrong. suspicious going on. <laughs> so he could, of course, have, have yeah. uh, you know, stepped up and said, I'm Xerxes, I'm, this is my father, I'm going to write a book about it. And he could, you know, gone down that path. But he's much more level headed and intelligent and, and just uh, a very fine person that I think his father would be very proud of. And not right. not necessarily sort of cashing in on that celebrity thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier in the interview that um, what Lavey did here, and and uh, you compared it to some artists when they do a masterpiece at age twenty five and at age fifty five. You're compared to uh, your actual work is compared to the then masterpiece, and it, somehow sometimes I find this very intriguing what you say here. Somehow. But that's very much more from the outside than you, because I'm not so informed about the Church of Satan like you are, of course. Um, but I get sometimes the impression that um, this he was trying to keep up with his genius strike of the early years in a way by making himself... Um, um, like Salvador Dali, I compare him to Dali a bit, who, who later on, maybe his work was less inspired, at least from the outside, but he was more and more of a figure and the outside figure became more important than the actual content, though people are going to hate me for saying that about Dali. But, <laughs> um, um, but um, is that a correct impression I have about LaVey or am I wrong there? Uh, I have to say yes and no uh, to be Scandinavian diplomatic. Uh, And the yes (laughs) thing is that, you know, yeah, you could say that. Uh, That makes sense. It's a good comparison with someone who makes a a very public uh, expression that becomes an impression. And and then you're constantly defined by those years or that moment. Uh, And whatever you do 
is just like ripples from that uh, splash. Uh, however, in his case, it's not really true because uh, if you look at him as a public persona, yes, perhaps as a scandalous person with you know plastic horns and a dramatic cape and and uh, nude ladies on the altar. However, if we look at him as a conceptualist and as a magician, uh, uh, my answer is definitely no, because the stuff that he wrote uh, later uh, later on mainly through the their own newsletter the the church of satan's newsletter which is called the cloven hoof uh, suitably enough mm-hmm. uh, he wrote a lot of essays for that and they were anthologized um in 1992, I think, in a book called The Devil's Notebook. And then slightly after he had died in one called Satan Speaks. And these, I, I've written about these books in, in for instance, in one chapter of, of my book, what I call the... Um, um, you know, innovations of, of Anton LaVey, where he comes up with these concepts that are not just, you know, um, science fiction or some kind of trippy ideas about that. They're really um, ideas stemming from experiments and experience where he had, for instance, uh, built from mannequins, uh, his own people in a way. Of course, they were, they are technically inanimate. They are non-sentient. However, his thing is that if you want to hang out with people that really listen to you and who may talk back, you have this idea of investment and it's just pure talismania in a way. You invest the talisman with your uh, magical power and it will radiate that investment out into the outer world or perhaps into your inner world also. So that thing with uh, what he called artificial human companions is, is now a booming business. It's a thing that's going to grow and grow. And it's not only like a Japanese crazy thing. You have this highly advanced uh, sex dolls, for instance, or as they call recreational dolls um, that uh, are so uh, human-like, humanoid, um, that uh, it's you know predicted that people will want to have them as friends. For instance, people are very alone, lonely people, older people, mm-hmm. uh, like a pet that's most more easy to to take care of. So that was one thing, and then you have these concepts of. Uh, uh, the total environment is basically temple building that extends way beyond your like, strictly magical temple, creating a space that's absolutely conducive to uh, not only magical ritual, but for your own like complete well-being. Uh, and there are many other things, the use of music, the importance of emotion. And these were things that he wrote about from, you know, in the 90, 80s and 90s, meaning uh, a decade or more after the glory days. So to speak. <clears throat> so even though those ideas may not have had outreach at that time because of the increasing seclusion and isolation that was going on, uh, he formulated them and they are very vital and alive today. And he was uh, prescient about mm-hmm. many things like, you know, the artificial human companions, for instance. Um, so that's my no in in the sense of saying that he in a way yeah. his isolation allowed him to become even more creative when it came to the conceptualizing yeah. uh, i yeah. would say whereas the public persona may have suffered both in a good and bad way uh, of not being public so much then you are then you will be defined but you by the public persona you once had mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Um, I mean, you make that also very clear in the first part of the book, of course. So it's, it's good you, you say that here as well. Um, you mentioned earlier, and I'm coming slowly to, to today now, because I think it will be interesting also to talk a little bit about today. Before we go there, um, you mentioned that photograph with Jane Mansfield right uh, earlier where he he's seen in the photo with her and you said back in the interview there that it was publicity for both of them um, from the point of view of 2021 this almost sounds incredible because he would uh, well we had we had the american horror story you just mentioned and the good actors that are in there with and uh, appear with levee in a way but still that uh, a hollywood star would want to appear with a personality what represents did levee at the time um what has changed since then? Why is why do we find that almost weird nowadays? I don't know, but I have to to tell you another story that's so remarkable in this. Uh, I don't know why I haven't mentioned it yet, but the thing is that I mentioned that I had this sort of uh, again underground culture strain, the trash culture strain that I mm -hmm. loved so much, and and. Uh, of course, you, you know, Jane Mansfield, she was so, you know, uh, a movie star. So she was easier to see uh, in magazines or books, whatever. If you liked film, you know, you couldn't really miss her. And of course, you have the, the cover of Hollywood Babylon also, where she and Sophia Loren are <laughs> dueling for attention. Um, but it, there was also when I grew up... Um, uh, I don't know if they still exist, but there used to be men's magazines and they were very interesting if you were a teenage boy to look in those magazines and learn a little bit about the human anatomy and other things. But they also had articles about weird people. Uh, and I remember reading about LaVey and also about Crowley and even Spare in these men's magazines. You know, they use sex oh, magazine really? for this. Yeah. And it was super trashy, super exploitative and sort of uh, uh, cheesy in a way. But that made an impression. And of course, I remember remember uh, in one of those articles about LaVey, there were these classic um, paparazzo photographs of LaVey and Mansfield together. So that was must have been a very crystallizing moment for me. Uh, however, then everything that we talked about happened. And then in the mid 10s, around 2000, 14 or 15 or something i was approached by a guy in uppsala north of stockholm and he asked mm -hmm. he wanted to meet me and show me some things and this swedish guy turned out to be a great lave collector he had bought uh, the the entire estate basically of a german paparazzo called walter fischer uh, who was stationed in hollywood for a long time and he shot you know all kinds of movie stars and, and celebrities and he was the one who had taken those pictures I had seen uh, in my teenage years and this guy in Uppsala had these things so we made a book about that called California Infernal uh, uh, Jane oh. Mansfield and Anton LaVey as portrayed by Walter Fischer uh, and that book is sold out now but it was a such a mind-blowing for me loop you know a full circle um, moment to to see these pictures and more pictures of LaVey that I'd never seen before and and sort of uh, turn that into you know a nice coffee table book it was really yeah. really weird but it just amplified for me you know what Jung would call uh, synchronicity that you know there's no doubt in my mind I just have to not finish but I have to go further down this uh, path and see what comes out of it mm -hmm. and now we've had the 
California Infernal book. We've had Into the Devil's Den film, and now we have the Anton LaVey and Church of Satan book, etc., etc. I don't know where it will end. <laughs> but it's just, I don't know, uh, just where is the next step? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Here? Yeah, no, but but it's the thing is that with some people, you know, Crowley is the same. Crowley is perhaps even more enigmatic because he was much yeah. more of a, you know, uh, complex figures psychologically uh, but you know what i mean is that when you scratch the surface um then you find more things is like one of these yeah. uh, russian dolls or or bo- yeah. gift boxes that contain a thousand things uh, and i love that it's a kind of a, a anthropological or magical anthropological detective work that i is one of the cornerstones of of my life you know i, I love that and i think also i have something a unique perspective in this sense because i was there so so in that and also yeah, the same sure. same thing for me was also to finally be able to make that uh, documentary about Kenneth Anger, for instance, because he was also mm-hmm. uh, someone I met actually on the same trip to the US in 1989. And they were in touch. Okay. They were friendly. And and uh, mm-hmm. LaVey made a phone call to Anger, uh, basically saying that I was okay. And that was the thing that led me to, to being able to meet Anger in Hollywood a couple of days later after San Francisco. Uh, okay, he's still alive, I believe. Yeah, Anger, right? yep, yep old yeah, uh, and, must, and uh, must quite 90-ish something yeah, yeah he's born yeah, in 1927 yeah, yeah. so that means he's 94, wow, 94. and his yeah, birthday yeah. is in uh, february so he will be 95 soon okay so that's in a very few days from today when yeah. we release that show so yeah, yeah amazing amazing so so yeah um, so basically the things the people that i've been inspired by i feel a need to um you know look deeper into maybe to try and find out more about myself but when i've had good experiences i feel uh, honor bound to pay back but also as i said before it's the paying back is also paying forward to to uh, yeah. um, future generations sure, sure. Uh, and define these people in a way that's respectful because it, uh, that's something academics can't do they can only you know use quantified data in a way that sounds dry but that's yes. really what they do uh, and that's a shame but at the same time we don't want the other end of the spectrum either meaning completely exploitative cheap biographies of uh, focusing on scandals exactly. you want to be somewhere in the middle of course it could be a discussion all by itself um, yeah. how far can you do you have to go into cultism because intention is part of magic and without intention so academia has to be without intention otherwise yeah. it wouldn't be academia how far can academia explain uh, the, the the magical world without having intention exactly another podcast yeah it must be a problem for them though because i would suspect that 90 percent or more of those academics come from an occult background so they must must Absolutely. have some, some kind of uh they may not say it that's that's a problem that's a problem <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah. um you mentioned satanic panic i loved that term back then satanic panic but um don't we have a certain kind of satanic panic today again i would rather say than still or or 
or not or mm, i don't think so uh, i don't think so the the, yeah. the, the we're sitting with a, a completely different uh, game board now and whereas people uh, during the days of the satanic panic they had you know uh, certain clout or power to affect their mindless sheep by these sort of tv and evangelism etc etc and the thing is that uh, today, the people who are involved in the same kind of thing, the level is so low that it's bordering on uh, either psychosis or surrealism or both. Uh, so I don't think any, you know, uh, normal people, by that I mean people who are functioning in society, have jobs or studying and exist and, you know, uh, mm. not outsider people. Uh, these people will not uh, react to the antics of uh, whatever they're called, QAnon. Uh, because it's simply so moronic. First of all, it's it's American, and it's American in the same way that the former president was American. The level is so low that for I would say you know mo most Europeans and other <laughs> other normals, uh, it's just too surreal. So it has no impact because it will be disarmed so quickly. And unfortunately, what says a lot about the American uh, culture and the state of the nation, so to speak, uh, what happened in January last year uh, will haunt them forever. When you have these uh, psychotic morons uh, could walk straight into uh, their place of government. And that's, you know, I would say a, a sign of disease far more serious than, than uh, COVID, although COVID is very, very bad also. It's just something that uh, uh, I cannot take that as seriously as I could back then, the satanic panic, because the, their conspiracy yeah. theories are so out there that I'm surprised someone, even themselves, believe in it. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I'm with you. I'm, I'm having a hard time now going to my next question, which could be somehow the final one. So I want to put it intelligently without being... Um, badly influenced by what you just said, not by what you said, but, <laughs> but the things that you described. Yeah. Um, um, so, um, the Church of Satan still exists today, of course. Yep. Um, so can you say something about its state today? Um, where does it go? What's the actual situation? Um, how, yeah, what, what's your opinion on the Church of Satan of 2022? Right. Well, I have to say uh, that uh, I'm I'm uh, partial. Uh, I'm uh, Lave made me a member, and that's a sort of a like lifetime membership. And I have had mm -hmm. very pleasant dealings with uh, basically quite few people, but they've been there all along, you know, since since uh, the eighties and the current leadership, and you know, so Blanche Barton, Lave's. Uh, mm -hmm. mate and partner and assistant and everything yeah. and, and mother of, of their son. Uh, so uh, I'm partial in that sense that I've, I've uh, been able to follow the development. And I would say without being uh, a spokesman, I would say that they seem to have a very healthy thing. It's very stable. It's not something that is, uh, what do you call it? Uh, proselytizing. It's not a missionary mm -hmm. uh, environment. It's just there for those who are attracted to it. And then people are welcome. And, and I can say that uh, I find it um, good 
that they have been uh, outspoken in things that are not concerning them uh, only. You know, there were these things with, you mm-hmm. know, Black Lives Matter and things like that. And also right. gay and trans rights and these things where it's been stated very clearly that the Church of Satan are absolutely in favor of that kind of freedom and against that kind mm-hmm. of oppression also. Uh, so that's good. Mm-hmm. But then you have also the the younger generation who actually might find that the Church of Satan is like too dusty or too, too old school. I was thinking specifically okay. about, you know, uh, the Satanic Temple, which is like a new breed yeah, uh, where yeah. people are yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. not so... Uh, strangely enough, not so egotistic and sort of insulated and and, uh, um, working with and for and on themselves, but uh, seem to promote a more kind of uh, communal behavior of of social activism and uh, social justice questions and stuff like that. And it's Mm -hmm. for me, it's neither here nor there. You know, the one doesn't have to exclude the other. But but I have tagged along since uh, 1988 within the perimeters of of, uh, the Church of Satan. And, and I, I like that. I like their aesthetic. I like their website. It's intelligent. Uh, they do fun things. And also they do something that's an absolute key to survival uh, in this field as in many other fields. They focus on the culture. And that's something I stress in the book also while LaVey will last mm-hmm. because he focused on the culture. Uh, the culture of the you know Church of Satan's brand of Satanism, the culture of himself, but also integrating culture from out there, uh, movies, music. Uh, it's not about arcane, dusty things about some medieval ritual to awaken a demon from hell. Those are fantasies mm-hmm. in Christian minds. Uh, this is more about mm-hmm. creating environments and and uh, ambiances and having cultural input that fill you with that kind of was you know we could call it a black flame or something in an infernal spirit that doesn't mean that there's an anthropomorphic beast that's called satan or that there's a boshian kind of hell it just means that it fills you with a power that is not accepted or acknowledged by the norm core people and therein lies its power you know, uh, we are okay. we are social animals. We need to be, you know, integrated. But some of us have uh, a need to be not too integrated, <laughs> simply to be, you know, carry on and, and be ourselves. Yes. Uh, we we are depleted, depleted by Absolutely. too much social surroundings. And uh, yes. who knows, maybe yes. someday one someone will make a, like a psychological or anthropological study of this and say that, you know, people dealing with the occult or Satanist specifically are on, maybe they're on some kind of autistic spectrum where you need to be alone and you need to define your own limits and, you know, create your own outsidership in order to feel safe, maybe. Or maybe it's just uh, people who are uh, more creative when they're left alone. You know, uh, I don't yeah. know. I just know that it's it's a tradition. It's not something that emerged in the 60s. Uh, people have been working no, with these things not. all along. And I guess we could take it way, way, way back already, you know, to the first shamans of the village, of the tribe. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. they're outsiders. Absolutely. Maybe that, that reminds me of that now, bad joke of the early lockdowns. Now, in the later lockdowns, I think those voices have come, become silent too. But the early lockdowns with COVID, well said, well said. Well, for occultists, nothing has changed. You know? <laughs> in the lock- we had the lockdown before already. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I have to add a, a couple of extra minutes to this to this episode because uh, one question I have to ask you because you you mentioned his name yourself now in the interview once but you mentioned him several times in the book and especially when I read this never published Hail Satan um, movie script excerpts that you have in that book which is a very interesting part for me the appendix one I think it is uh, so don't be one of those who doesn't read the appendix is it would be a bad mistake yeah. uh, but you mentioned Nietzsche several times yeah you know? um, um, that you compared LeVay and his way of, of pronouncing things and I think that's a very strong argument I, I especially when you read those 11 satanic rules from the satanic bible or so this sounds like well maybe not Zarathustra but other other of his books you know uh, um so did LaVey, by your knowledge, have uh, also a personal love acquaintance with Nietzsche or is that something we feel uh, post-mortem? No, no, that was, that was absolutely there. And, and I think, you know, he was mm. much more of an intellectual than he liked to uh, present in a way. For instance, mm. he was also very interested in psychology. And, you know, he says in the film even in that, you know, he's a self-professed yeah. Freudian. He, he loved uh, yes. Wilhelm Reich um, and, you mm. know, Jung, of course, also. Those were in the zeitgeist of the 60s. But still, he was very, very yes. interested. And I saw several books uh, at his house. And Nietzsche, of course, you, you can't can't escape Nietzsche and I, I prefer to say also you know uh, you have to go back even to Schopenhauer you know anything that has to do with will and the definition of will and of course what is western magic except for uh, the will the individual will as a springboard using all of these experimental uh, techniques to manifest your will and will and to have your own like increased agency so yeah lave was consciously inspired by uh, nietzsche and uh, i call him not in any way in, in a derogatory sense but i call him america's pop nietzsche because he popularized nietzschean thought uh, by you know, like I say, these statements and also in, in uh, the chapters and and uh, in interviews and things like that. And it's basically, it's the uh, Antichrist, right? You know, it's like you have the herd and they will be herded. <laughs> uh, and the problem yes, we true. have might not be strictly monotheist. It might not strictly be Judeo-Christian uh, problem in that dynamic. It might just be that human beings in general are, they get safety in numbers they feel that they have a strong yeah. chance to survive if yeah. they huddle together. But then you have this thing where it, someone needs to lead and then people go power tripping and that becomes a heritage in itself where there's always the power tripper, the leader, the strong man. Uh, and that usually leads to, to pretty bad things. And sometimes the herd reacts, you know, the herd reacts and, and, uh, um, places a new <laughs> power person there and it also ends badly Absolutely. Uh, so Absolutely. in that sense it's it's not uh, that's really not rocket science it's the history of humans basically and yeah. it should define it okay. so well it was you know quite uh, stern draconian uh powerfully put uh and uh i think lave was uh, certainly uh, aware of that and sort of influenced by that mm. and and inspired by that absolutely yeah 
and and in the 21st century even marxists now recognize human nature which uh, <laughs> yeah. brings yeah. us to the same point yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Carl, thank you so much. This was a really interesting, really interesting talk. Next to your next LaVey book, what's, what can we expect from you in the next year or so that we should have be on lookout? Uh, there, there is simply so many things going on all the time. Uh, one, one thing that I should mention is that... Uh, uh, my wife Vanessa Sinclair and I we have you know we have a Patreon and we use it mainly to uh, as kind of forum and we write about our own magical experiences and our own magical work and stuff like that and mm -hmm. we uh, assembled that recently into a f the first volume of a book and it's called It's Magic mm -hmm. Monday Every Day of the Week and the reason why I want to mention that is not simply to push the book but it's just this thing where uh, for me, using social media and that kind of uh, web presence as a communicating, feedbacking uh, platform has been very good. It's made me write more. Uh, I've I've uh, also put together a new volume of Oculture in a way. The working title was Oculture 2, but that won't be coming out until mm, 2023. You know, <laughs> another year already. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It takes that long for for the big companies, you know, to to get a book out there. But at the same and time, to get uh, the paper nowadays. It's the most difficult thing is now to get the paper yeah, on the market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and uh, and also, uh, I have uh, started writing uh, what I call. Mm, kind of a magical uh, autobiography. It's not an autobiography of my life per se, but specifically about my magical experiences and the mm. people I've met, including LaVey. Uh, and uh, that I think will be a pretty unique book also because I am happy that I am such a good uh, diarist. I started working Great. with my diary in 1987 and I don't know how many volumes I have now. And it's a, it's a pain to go back and sort of read everything. Sometimes I can't even read yeah. However, it's <laughs> invaluable in terms of memory, you know, uh, course, what did I, uh, you know, um, say to these people at that particular moment at that dinner, mm -hmm. it's kind of invaluable to go back. So I want to contextualize that and make that into and hopefully an inspiring book, but also a book that sort of tells my story, you know, uh, where I've been and why I am uh, like I am. Well, sounds ex <laughs> sounds exciting and sounds yeah. like you're going to be several times back on this show. I am. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Well, which makes me say that I want to say that now and here that Carl and I are talking about doing in a couple of months or so a trio, well, I call it a trio. So Carl will be on a special event, my show co-hosts here and we will interview someone together We're not gonna reveal yet who that will be but uh, somebody we chose together and uh, i'm looking forward to meeting you at the latest then in a couple of months carl yeah that would be great well, i think that's a great idea absolutely absolutely well absolutely so thank you so much once again for your time and it was lovely it's hard to finish uh, what we have to at some point and well it's just uh, parti remise as we say in french mm -hmm. uh, so you you're coming back at some other moment yeah yeah thank, <laughs> thank you, you carl. and, and uh, you know thanks to all the listeners too see you soon absolutely
I find those little pieces of music by Anton LaVey so funny and surprising. Well, to me, they really are. Um, that was the Satanic Hambo by Anton LaVey himself. And that before was the big interview with Carl, Carl Abrahamson, who was with us already for the second time on this show. So if you have missed his first interview, which is also great, um, please return in the previous, I think it was in season two or three, I'm not even sure. Well, you know, it's becoming a long time. And well, and then Carl was talking about O-Culture and his book. And uh, this time it was Anton LeVay and the Church of Satan, the book that was just released or will be released tomorrow, to be entirely precise, tomorrow, February 28, 2022, um, by Inner Traditions. And um, go and grab it. It's really worth it. Well, that was the first episode of our new season. Wonderful to be back. Uh, and um, I'm glad that you were with me. I hope you enjoyed the show just as much as I did. And I will certainly be happy if I see you again next week or hear you again. Well, you hear me. Well, yeah, okay, you know what I mean. Right. So next week, um, I owe you... To, I owe to tell you who will be my guest next week. Well, next week it's Bill or William Mann. William Mann, he's Canadian and he will be talking to me about the Templars, the Templars in North America, their links to the Scottish Rite in North America. His book, he, well, his novel, actually, fictional novel, he wrote about that, which was released last year. And... Um, I am really looking forward to have you back for next week to meet Bill and enjoy an interesting talk we had a few weeks ago. So, um, thank you for being with me here today and with us. Uh, with, it's, we do this for our audience, as Carl stated very clearly and rightly so at the end of the interview. And so... In that case, if you enjoyed, return and stay with us every week on Sunday, 3 p.m. Vienna time, and which is 9 p.m. East Coast time in North America. We have a lot, a lot of American listeners. I'm so chatty today. Maybe it's just because I'm happy to be back. So that's it. Now I say goodbye and I tell you, take care, stay tuned, hear you soon.